You can open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 so long, Isaiah chapter 9, and I'll be preaching to you for just a few minutes this morning about the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the distinct privilege this morning of just bragging about Him. I don't think any human being will ever be able to sufficiently talk about His glory and explain how great He is, but I have the opportunity this morning to at least make an effort at it. And uh, what, a better, what, what better way to spend uh, any day, but specifically a Christmas morning, thinking about, talking about, meditating on our Savior. Before I get into that, let me uh, first give you a few extra thoughts that aren't so deep and serious and maybe just put a smile on your face, I hope. These are kind of dad jokes. Uh, how many of you like dad jokes? All right, good. I, all the teenagers had their hands down. I saw that. I just want you to know I saw that. <laughs> well, anyway, these are Christmas jokes, but probably more like a dad type of joke. How is Christmas exactly like your job? The answer is you do all the work and a fat guy in the suit gets all the credit. <laughs> What's the difference between the ordinary alphabet and the Christmas alphabet? There's no L, no L, no L. <laughs> I like that one. That was good. That was good. Okay, now this one, I must admit, this will make you think a little bit, so brains on here. What comes? Now, today's Christmas, yes? This is Christmas Day? Think this through. I want you to pause, think. What comes at the end of Christmas Day? What comes at the end of Christmas Day? Why? <laughs> it's the letter Y. That's all it is. <laughs> that's at the end of Christmas Day. All right. Why? <laughs> this one is really kind of silly. I'm sorry. I apologize in advance that I like this one so much. Why was the snowman at the grocery store looking through the carrots? He was picking his nose. <laughs> I'm sorry, I like that one. <laughs> that was, that, that's funny. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't sure about putting that one in here because now I'm not going to, I won't be able to get that out of my head now for a while. Okay. What is the best Christmas present in the world? Now, you're right, Jesus Christ. All right, let's, let's get that straight, but Let's maybe think a little abstract here. What is the best Christmas present in the world? A broken drum, because you just can't beat it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Made you laugh anyway. <laughs> All right, last one. I asked my wife what she wanted for Christmas. She said, nothing would make me happier than a diamond necklace. So I bought her nothing. All right, so with those in mind, let's turn our attention from the ridiculous to the sublime. Isaiah chapter 9, let's read together verses 6 and 7. The Bible says here, For unto us a child is born. And, and by the way, I looked at this in the Afrikaans, the O Afrikaans Bible, and uh, the, verse, the verses are ordered differently there. So what, when I'm reading verse 6 in the O Afrikaans, you have verse 5, just so you know, so you're not confused. But verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government 
shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. For a few minutes this morning, we're going to focus our attention in verse number 6 to this child that was born and to this son that was given to us. So I'm going to ask you again to just close your eyes and bow your heads. Let's just ask God specifically to help us with this sermon. Father, we thank you once again for what we've been able to do thus far. We just ask now that your hand would be on this sermon. Lord, I don't take this lightly. My goal is to exalt and to magnify your son. I pray you let it sink deep into our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's actually a lot to say about Isaiah chapter 9 and, and these verses in particular. This is a promise to the Jewish nation that a Messiah would one day come and the Messiah would be not only God coming from heaven but born as a, as a child. Now the Jews of ancient time, they didn't actually see it that way. They read this passage and they saw that the, there would be a Messiah, somebody that would come and restore the kingdom to Israel. But for whatever reason, in verse number 6, they did not make the connection that that son that was going to be born and that child that was going to be given, that is the Messiah, but he's also the mighty God. They didn't make that connection. Even, even today, if you ask a Jew, what is verse 6 about? He will say, this is Hezekiah, king, the, one of the kings. For, you can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 19 and chapter 20. Some say it's Hezekiah himself. Some say it's his son. But right away, can you see in verse 6 and 7 that it can't be Hezekiah because his government didn't last forever. He did have peace in his day, but it didn't last. He wasn't the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So that's just not going to work. For you and I, as Christians this morning, we look at this verse and we immediately see in verse 6 especially, how can we not help but see the Lord Jesus Christ, Him being magnified, described, exalted. So that's what I'd like to do today for a few minutes is just try to lift Him up. It says in verse 6 at the beginning, a son is given. A son is given. In the New Testament, we read about God giving us an unspeakable gift. We cannot say enough about His glory, about this gift, this child that was given let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What is the best gift you've ever been given? And the reason I'm putting this thought out there, I'd like for you to go home and talk, with this about, uh, talk about this with your family. I think it's a great conversation to have. What's the best present you've ever received? And then if I can conversely say, what's the worst gift you've ever received? What is that lump of coal that you got in your stocking? Now, please don't tell me right away. It might be interesting to go home and talk about it. Just a nice conversation starter. I remember years ago, we shared a Christmas, my wife and I did, just after we had gotten saved. We knew a man, uh, I'm not even going to share his name, but he and his wife, they were also newly married. We went over to their house. 
and we could tell as we walked in things were a little tight and a little awkward and nevertheless we tried to make the most of the day we sat there by the Christmas tree and we were exchanging gifts and it was I believe Christmas morning if memory serves correctly and uh, this other lady had given her husband a gift he opened the gift and when he looked at it it was a t-shirt he, he spread out the t-shirt he crumpled it up and went re-gift you understand what that means re-gift means I'm gonna give it to somebody else he just crumbled it up and went re-gift and threw it aside I thought oh dear I don't know if I want to be here for Christmas anymore <laughs> I don't know if that's the worst gift he's ever been given but boy, I tell you what, that really put a, that, that froze our Christmas in the wrong kind of a way. Dads, moms, have you ever been in this position where you've purchased, uh, you went out of your way to purchase gifts for your children? They open the gift and it's a bit underwhelming. They open it up and they go, oh, and set it aside and then say, where's the next one? Okay, I see some dads and moms smiling here at this point. This has undoubtedly happened. And moms and dads, you know why that happened to you? Because you did it to your mom and dad at one point. That's it. What comes around goes around, buddy. That's how that works. You know where it's happened most of all? Here's the Lord Jesus Christ born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, gift-wrapped, if you will, presented to mankind, and we unwrap that, and set them aside and take them lightly and go, okay, that's great, but where's the next thing you can give me? I, I just think it's wise to take some time and really appreciate what God gave us when He gave us His Son. Verse 6 is not the whole story, but it will certainly help us today. It says in verse 6, I'm looking now at the end of the verse, His name shall be called. And first of all, it says, Wonderful. This is usually more of an adjective. We describe someone with this, but this is actually one of his names. He is the living embodiment of anything wonderful. Now, wonderful is one of those words in the English language, I think in any language, that probably gets used too much. We, we, we lose the appreciation for exactly how impressive it is to be wonderful. You understand if something is, there's bad, there's good, there's great. Great is you have excelled at something. You've done something uh, that, that is really good by human standards. But to be wonderful is full of wonder. This is going beyond what a human could do in his or her own power. It's well beyond great. It is blowing your mind. You're looking at it thinking there's no way that a human could do that. That is wonderful. And when I think of the Lord Jesus Christ, as He entered the world, His birth was wonderful. You look at that and you think a virgin has just given birth. This is not possible in humanity, but here He is starting off wonderful. As He lives His life over and over again, people expressed this thought of Him being wonderful in different ways. Jesus, as He began His ministry, one of the things He would do is cast out an unclean spirit. And simply by saying the word, many other Jews, they were exorcists at that time, and they would use various elements and holy waters and oils and say certain mantras to try to make unclean spirits go here or there. Not Jesus. He'd step right into that person filled with whatever devil and simply by His word say, come out. 
and the crowd would respond and say, what thing is this? What, what new doctrine is this? They had never seen anything like this amongst humanity. What a wonderful description of wonderful. He goes beyond what we would expect. In Matthew 7, we read that Jesus finished His Sermon on the Mount, that most famous sermon of sermons. You know what the people said? He said, this man speaks with authority, not like one of the scribes. They said, we've heard sermons before. We've heard lessons and expositions, but we've never heard anything like that. This man excels all human expectation. We read in Mark chapter 4 where the disciples are in a boat in the stormy seas, rocking them back and forth, the boat filling with water. And Jesus, they wake him. He stands on the bow of the boat, and all he has to say is, peace. Be still. We were recently at the coast and a massive storm blew in one night. And we stood there on our balcony watching the ocean crashing against the, the beach. We saw the lightning coming down and shooting across the sky. And the thought struck me, this is the type of storm that the disciples were facing. And in, in these conditions, our Savior stepped out and with one word, peace entirety of nature calm down the disciples response to that was to say what manner of man is this <laughs> i'll tell you another way to say it he's just wonderful he goes way beyond great he is just wonderful in mark chapter 7 we read about jesus healing a man who was deaf and dumb and the crowd as they saw this miracle and they saw the transformation, this immediate transformation in the man. I love what the crowd said. He hath done all things well. What a, a great way to sum up Jesus' life. How do you describe him? He does all things well. Here's Matthew chapter 14, a different storm. The disciples are in a boat. It's the fourth watch of the night. It's around three in the morning. The boat is again rocking back and forth, side to side, and they see Jesus walking on the water. Imagine that for a moment. I find it breathtaking that anybody can get on a surfboard and ride a wave. You'll never see me doing that. I will die. I, will, I can barely do a boogie board without flipping over and hurting myself. Hey Amen, you're allowed to laugh at me. It's, it's pathetic. I like trying, but it's bad. I'm impressed with guys that can ride these waves and these surfboards, but hey, take their board away, and they're going to straight down. But not Jesus. He just steps off of the shore onto the water, and there he is just walking on the water, and the disciples at first think he's a ghost, he's a spirit, and he says, no, no, I'm Jesus. You remember Peter climbs out of the boat, and he says, if you're truly the Lord, bid me come unto thee on the water, and here's Peter going beyond. Listen, he's so wonderful, his wonderfulness can spill over onto you. Peter begins to walk on the water. Now, of course, his faith faltered a bit. Peter gets him back in the boat, and... All of the disciples exclaim in one unison and they exclaim, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Up till that point, they, they were following along that he was the Messiah, but now they say, okay, you, you continue to blow our minds. Every time we turn around, you're doing something way beyond what any human would expect. You, Jesus, are just wonderful. 
He lived up to the name. He earned the name. Let's be careful though. Let's be careful here. Because I think that some people actually take this a step in the wrong direction. And that is to say, they, they think the word wonderful means entertainer. Jesus didn't do these wonderful things simply to entertain us. He didn't do these things as some traveling circus, you know, magic act. Let me blow your mind and now throw money in the hat. That wasn't the purpose of it. Jesus was doing these amazing, mind-blowing, wonderful things to clearly show us who he was and who had sent him. He was doing these wonderful things to properly represent who had sent him to the earth, to draw people's attention, not to the miracle itself, but to the Father which had ordered the miracle to be done. It needed to be impressive because it represented the God of heaven. His name shall be called Wonderful. We also read in verse number 6, His name shall be called Counselor. Counselor. If there's ever a time that you need help, wisdom, Lord, I don't know what to do, The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. God will put a number of people in our lives that can offer us wisdom and advice when needed. But friend, the ultimate counselor that you'll ever have is the Lord Jesus Christ. At one point during his life, the Pharisees who wanted to put him to death sent soldiers to arrest him. These soldiers were not on Jesus' side. They were not followers of his. They went to arrest him, but when they got to the place where he was speaking, he heard them going back and forth with other people that were not on his side. Those soldiers came back empty-handed, and the Pharisees asked, why haven't you brought him? And what they said, these are iconic words that live to this day. They said, never a man spake like this man. You know why that's such an iconic statement? It wasn't said by one of his followers. This is said by his enemies. This is said by the people that would eventually tie him up and lead him to the cross. Never a man spake like this man. Friend, the best advice you'll ever get is going to come from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Thank God for schools where we can learn. Thank God for parents, for ums and tanis, for opa and oma that can offer a word of wisdom. But my friend, the greatest wisdom you'll find is embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, this is his name, Counselor. Listen to this, at age 12, you talk about Counselor, at age 12, he steps into the temple and the doctors of the law who had studied the law their entire life, they have the entire alphabet after their name. MD, PhD, DD, BD, all the They had the Morse code behind them. Jesus at age 12 steps in and blows their mind with his understanding and with his answers. Can I encourage you today, no matter where, where it is in your life that you're struggling, whatever the point is that you're struggling with, maybe it's money, maybe it's a marriage, perhaps it's friendships, perhaps what job do I take, whatever it is you're struggling with, take that thing to the Lord and say, please show me how to handle this. We know from the Old Testament that Solomon was the wisest man of his time. 
the wisest man. And I think if we think of just humans that are born naturally, Solomon would be the wisest man ever, excluding Jesus. But Jesus himself said, a wiser than Solomon is here. So let's take advantage of that. Let's make use of him as our counselor because I promise you in over 27 years of knowing and walking with the Lord, I have never found his advice to fail and no matter what it is I'm struggling with, he has something to say or to teach me about it. Every single part. I think, especially in light of Christmas, perhaps let me use this as an illustration Maybe the best human advice ever given came from the mouth of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do you remember this story in John chapter 2 where Jesus turned the water to wine? Right before he did that, his mother turned to the servants and talking about Jesus said, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I, I cannot imagine better advice for anyone, anywhere, in any situation whatsoever, he saith unto you, do it. Why? His name is Counselor with a capital C. The next thing in the list, his name shall be called the Mighty God. The Mighty God. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but can I ask you to flip back just a couple chapters, Isaiah 7 and verse 14. The Mighty God. This child that was to be born, a son to be given, his name would be called Mighty God. Why? In Isaiah 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name. Church, please help me. What is that name? Emmanuel. Now, you see in Isaiah 7, the verse ends right there. You read this verse again, it is quoted by Matthew in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. But when Matthew quotes the verse, he adds one little part to the end of it. And he's not trying to add to what Isaiah said, he's just helping us understand the point. Matthew adds at the end, after it says his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Who is this child, this son that would be born and given to humanity? He is the mighty God wrapped in human form. Now think about this. The Bible says in Isaiah 9 and verse number 6, the mighty God. We could have taken any great adjective and put it there, but the Holy Spirit saw fit to lead Isaiah to write the mighty God. Think of the things for a moment that show us just how powerful the Lord is. Think of this. In one moment of time, He speaks and creation comes into existence. That's how powerful He is. When He says to a thing, do this, it does it. When He says to the mountain, be cast into the sea, it happens. This is the same God that can call for a mighty wind to rush through a land and rip trees out of the ground, pull houses up off their foundations and cast them into the sea. This is the God who holds your breath in His hand and at any moment can say, you're done. 
Think of all the ways that he can express his power. Think of the ways that Jesus expressed it while he was on the earth. I just mentioned it a moment ago, but he can tell the wine or tell the water be wine, and it is. All the ways that God can manifest his might. And I think perhaps the greatest manifestation of his strength was this. The Bible says in the book of Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore also God hath highly exalted him. I believe one of the greatest, if not the greatest manifestations of God's power was not in throwing something down or speaking something into existence or creating some horrible calamity. I think the greatest manifestation of His power was the ability for the God of heaven to humble Himself down to the form of a man and then to go beyond that, the form of a servant. And then to go beyond that, all the way to the death of the cross. God's power, listen to this, His strength lies in the fact that a God like Him could love somebody like you and me. Do you realize how much strength that takes? How much energy does it take to love your enemy? You have enemies, don't you? Folks, are you with me here? You have enemies, don't you? You're allowed to nod. I know you're in church, but you're allowed to nod. You can agree to that. If some of you don't have enemies, I got a few you can borrow. (laughs) It's difficult to love them. And yet God somehow finds a way to not only love them, but to give them the greatest love of all, because greater love hath no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friends. For his friends. He looks at those people that despise him and says, I will treat you not as an enemy, but rather as a friend, even though we don't deserve it. Why do we call him the mighty God? There are so many reasons. God is strong in so many ways. But I think most of all that he humbled himself to come and to save us. The next thing in the list, it says, he shall be called the everlasting father. Perhaps at first glance, this might make you scratch your head a bit and say, now how can the son of God also be called the Father. Because we know that there are three in one. The Bible says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. But, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. They are three distinct people, persons, if you will, within the Godhead. So why would we say to the Son, you are the everlasting Father? We'll understand in the Bible, the word father, yes, it can refer to the person begetting a child, but the word father also means the leader or the teacher. And when we think about Jesus in this role, this is what he came to do among many other things. He told his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus came, yes, born in humility, 
despised by mankind, died a shameful death, rose again, all of that we glory in. But let's not take lightly the example that he set through his life that is meant to teach us how to live in this world. When we say the everlasting Father, this is every single generation should now seek to sit at the feet of Jesus as his disciple and say, please teach me how you would react, how you would act in this situation. Let me learn from you. What did the Apostle Paul say? Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Every generation since the time of Christ As a pastor, as a father, as a mother, we want to set examples, right? Anybody with leadership, you want to set an example for your followers so that they know how to properly act. You're helping them mature. You're helping them learn how to deal with life. Well, now, when you think of it in that light, how much sense then does it make to say Jesus is the everlasting leader? He is the, you remember in the Old Testament, the sons of the prophet? When you went to Bible school in the Old Testament, there was the prophet and the sons of the prophet. They were the students. So that term father began to be used as as a, a, a respectful term for the leader or the teacher. And every generation, it has never ended. We say, follow me as I follow Christ. Why? He's the everlasting leader. I want to set an example that helps you follow him. And then lastly in the verse, in verse 6, it says, His name shall be called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Let's understand two parts to this. Number one, the Prince. It is true in the Bible, the word Prince is used in a political sense, and that is to say, the one waiting to become the king. You find it used like that in the Bible many times. But the word Prince also has another meaning. The the word prince can also mean the chief ruler over any group, over anything. It can just be an honorific term to say this person is the best at this particular thing. And when we think of Jesus, now the word prince would be fitting in many ways because he is the chief, he's the first. If you were to make the list of who's the best, Jesus is going to rise to the top of that list every time. Hence, he is the prince in that honorific way. When we think of peace, is it not fitting to think that peace is going to be found in him? On the day of his birth, the angels came down from heaven, and what did they sing? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Why? Because all legitimate, lasting peace is going to be found and flow through him. He's the prince of it, the ruler of it. Jesus would eventually say this, peace I leave with you. Now I want you to get a hold of this next part. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Now think about that. He's not saying he's just going to set your heart at ease and make you feel better. He says, I'm going to take the peace that I have and give it to you. My peace give I unto you. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think Jesus is worried about this morning? He's not worried about anything. 
You think Jesus is up in heaven wringing his hands going, oh no, I don't know what to do. He is at complete and perfect peace. And this is where the Bible would later say that we can receive a peace that passes all understanding. How is it that I'm not panicking? How is it that I'm not overreacting in this situation under normal conditions? I would lose my mind. But the Bible says that the peace of God that passes all understanding can keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. So when you go to him and say, Lord, please, I want to cast my care upon you because I know you care for me. At the top of the list, where are you going to find peace? Jesus is offering that this morning. Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus can take that stormy sea which is your heart, which is your mind, and with one word just say, calm down. Give the problem to me. I can, where you have chaos, create calmness. I'll give you my peace. I'm the prince of it. I'm the ruler of it. Anytime you need peace, I can offer it. And he's not going to offer a separate thing that is peace. He is the peace. The Bible goes on to tell us that because of our sins, we are not friends, we are not family with God. Because of our sins, we were God's enemies. We were separated from God by our iniquities. And while we were enemies with God, that is when God sent His Son, not only to be born in a manger in a miraculous way, but to preserve Him 33 years of a perfect sinless life all the way to the cross. All of our sins were piled on Him. And there He hangs, cursed. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin. Why? In order for us to have peace with God, our sins had to be punished. And instead of punishing us, here's the gift. Here's the gift that God gave us. He was rich in mercy. His great love wherewith He loved us. He, instead of giving us the punishment, He gave Jesus the punishment that we deserved. And today, friend, if you are unsettled in your heart and you're not sure what will happen to you when you die, if you're not sure today that you are born again and truly a child of God, if you're worried that you are God's enemy, peace is available. But it's not in you making yourself a better version of you. Peace is found in a person, the Prince of Peace. How can we get a holy God to be reconciled with a filthy sinner like me? Jesus steps in the middle and says, I'm the Prince of Peace. Where there is enmity, hatred, I'll step in. And because I've paid for your sins, my blood can wash them away. And the two that were against each other can now be joined together, reconciled, never to be separated again. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And as long as Jesus is sitting on the throne of your heart, my friend, He is the Prince of Peace and that can give you a peace that passes all understanding. You know what we end up with? We're right back to wonderful because it goes beyond any, anything a human could come up with. 
and we just start the list all over again. The Bible says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what your tradition is as far as this goes. I think some of you have probably already unwrapped gifts this morning. Is this right? How many of you have already opened your gifts? Okay. Maybe that's why at the beginning of the sermon when I said, what's the best or the worst gift you got, some of you look nervous because you're like, oh, now I'm going to have to tell my, my family member that. So maybe don't have that conversation. I don't know. Use some wisdom there. What I'm saying to you is this, whether you've opened your gifts or not, there is a gift that has been given. And if you have never unwrapped the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, if you've never unwrapped that gift, I am begging you, go home today, unwrap that gift and receive it into your heart. If you have already unwrapped that gift at some other point in your life, don't do what so many of us have done. Don't unwrap the gift and set it aside quickly looking for the next thing. Unwrap this gift. Take it back layer by layer and just recognize how amazing, how awesome our God is. Let's all stand, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're not going to have a long invitation this morning just want to give you a moment to quietly where you're at, worship the Lord in your heart, in your spirit. Just think on His greatness. Imagine all of that glory, the King of glory, seated at the right hand of God. All of the angels in heaven bowing down and adoring Him and singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, that great God that created everything came down here to save us, to walk amongst us. I want you just to, as much as you can, think about what God has given us. God has shown His power and His strength in our lives over and over again in, in positive, negative ways. Sometimes it's in a calamity. Sometimes it's in great mercy. But the strongest thing he's ever done is save a lost sinner. I'm asking you today, please don't forget about this gift that was given for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's a gift that needs to be unwrapped, received, and appreciated. Father, we thank You this morning for sending Your precious Son. Thank You, Lord. The very best of heaven was sent down here to redeem us to save us, to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, and no greater teacher will ever be found. Lord, in You we rest content. We have all we need in You. Lord, thank You for loving people like us, unworthy, unclean, undefiled. 
undefiled was you, Lord. We were the defiled ones. Somebody like you could love somebody like us. Father, thank you. I, I, I really don't know what else to say, but thank you. Thank you for this day that we could celebrate you. And now we can go home and celebrate the rest of the day with each other. And not, not to exclude you, Lord, we want you to be in the middle of all that we do. We thank you and we give you praise and glory for it. Dismiss us, please, with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.